Hello, 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 and welcome to the 52 Week Film Project, episode 19. Um, we are on tour this week. As we mentioned last week, we are in the pod in White City Place in London. We are basically in a large pink cube. Yep. Um, pink or purple? Pink oh. or purple. It's, it's a mix, isn't it? It's a real blend. Mm. Um, beautifully lit uh, in the middle of what? In the middle of a park near Shepherd's Bush. Yep. Um, professionally recorded, which is very cool. It isn't just me and you doing this on Bluetooth mics. No, from two very different true. Houses with terrible soundproofing. Yeah, we're a legit podcast now. Yeah, we this is um, you know, we're climbing the ranks now, mate. This exactly. is the big leagues. There's a fire um, extinguisher in the corner, so I feel very safe. Oh, so good. <laughs> you got, you got. Have you not got one of those in your house, mate? I, I mean, I've got like three. Yeah, well, they, you know, just in case just things get too heated. Coming out of my ears. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, very exciting to be here. Um, shame it's kind of pouring down with rain outside. Indeed. Um, would have been nice if we had like a lovely sunny view out of these beautiful circular windows we've got. Yeah, and Instagrammable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but we will uh, probably spam, spam Instagram regardless. Oh, yeah. Um, so this week we're going to be uh, cracking on with some of the news. We've had some really interesting stuff come out this week that we're going to talk through. Um, and then we're going to have another double bill. So we're going to be talking about Venom and A Star Is Born. Um, but first up, what's your first news story for the week, mate? What have you got to talk about? First bit of film news. Um, so John Favreau, um, the director of The Jungle Book, Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, yeah. and one of your favourite films, Chef. Oh, the star of Chef, mate. The star of Chef. One of the, one of the just the most wholesome, happy family films you could possibly watch. Before Brilliant. you go before you go into a tangent about Chef, I'll, I'll do the yeah, news. You, 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 the podcast <laughs> will I be about Chef, in. otherwise. Um, it's, he's directing a new live-action Star Wars TV series called The Mandalorian. He's okay. described it... Um, I'll just quote what he says. After the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerged into the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We follow the tra- tra- travails. Travails. Travels. The travels. I think it's travels. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I think the, I've just tra- spelt it wrong. The travails, right? Uh, yeah, the travails um, <laughs> of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy, far from the authority of the New Republic. They had to stick far in there, didn't they? they oh, could, yeah, they far, far have away. like a synopsis of a Star Wars project <laughs> about putting far in there at least once. Yeah, um, I'm, yeah I'm very excited about it it's it's kind of continues the the need for sort of more mandalorian lore yeah um i remember playing the star wars nights of the old republic video games and the mandalorians were a very heavy part of this um a lot of the star wars books follow sort of boba fett's story after boba fett doesn't die in episode six it turns out if you leave the if oh, you really? continue the lore no 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 not oh, at all right okay. not at all very exciting and he's kind of creates a new mandalorian clan kind of like clones from episode two attack of the clones um yeah it's to be released in 2019 uh, do you know how many episodes or any castings or anything like that? No castings as of yet. I've got a couple of the names of the directors who are going to be directing episodes. I'm not sure how many episodes, but um, you've got Dallas Bryce Howard um, oh. directing an episode um, from Jurassic World fame. Wait, is it Bryce Dallas Harper? Oh, fuck, no. We, we Dallas always get Bryce name, Howard, right? I think. The woman who's not Amy Adams. The woman who's not Amy who's Adams. Not Jessica Chastain, who's not Jessica Chastain, but she takes the jobs that they don't want. Indeed, yes, yeah, yes. Um, Dave Filoni, who is um, a director on Star Wars Rebels and Clone Wars, is directing the first episode. Okay. And then Deborah Chow, who is the director of Jessica Jones and Mr. Robot. Not one of the directors, not the overall showrunner. Right, yeah, So yeah, I'm yeah. very excited. I think it can be a really, really good project. And it sort of continues the, um, start, the more... It's more Star Wars um, themed stuff that Disney is creating. Yeah, it's just expanding the universe, isn't it? I mean, yep. do we do we know if it's going to be on like Netflix or Amazon Prime or what? Not sure, but I would guess that it's going to be, be on the Disney new stream service. Oh uh, yeah, of course, because they're pulling all of their content from other exactly, streaming sites. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, um, cool. Cool. Um, this week in film trailers, we've had a couple of really good ones. Um, we've had a trailer for a film which was a surprise to me. I hadn't heard about it until a mate kind of sent me the link uh, called The Mule, 
which is a new Clint Eastwood film. Oh. Um, he's now, God, he's 88 now, man. He's looking old. He's like, have you, did you ever play the Fallout video games? No. Is he No, no disrespect to Clint Eastwood at all, but he kind of looks like one of those ghouls from the Fallout video <laughs> games. Like he's got that weathered skin and that like kind of slightly pissed off look. And he's very thin now. He's very, very gaunt. Um, but that's probably going to work in his favour because he's, he's playing um, a role about a long-time drug smuggler, a, a long-time drug mule uh, working for the Mexican cartel. But this looks like a real kind of Gran Torino-esque, very serious drama with a lot of kind of like family angst in it. And it kind of, the friend that sent me the link said that it kind of reminded him of the way James Mangold shot Logan. Mm. which I thought was quite cool. Um, it definitely is like that. It takes this kind of like large kind of desert landscapes, a little bit kind of Breaking Bad-esque, okay. um, quite desolate. Uh, we, yeah, so that looks really, really good. Go and, go and check that out. And then we've also had a trailer for Rocket Man, which is the new Elton John biopic. Mm. Um, we, we've got Taron Egerton in the starring role of Kingsman fame, and he's just about to be Robin Hood. Um, he was Eddie the Eagle, which was a surprisingly good film. He likes wearing glasses and, and having sideburns, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. <laughs> he really, really It's a real does. actor trait. And, but I also think that he never really... It always looks a little bit fake on him. Yeah. Like, the Eddie the Eagle film is lovely. It's a really, really sweet movie, and Hugh Jackman's great. The whole thing's just heartwarming. But he does look a bit like, yeah, this is a movie. This isn't, like, genuinely him. Mm. Um, and I kind of got that vibe from this Elton John trailer. Like, I, I'm i not a big Elton John fan. I haven't gone back and looked at what he looked like back then. I'm sure there is a resemblance, but it didn't look that convincing to me. No, I, I um, yeah. But more interesting than the actual film itself is how it kind of happened essentially Elton John was trying to get this to you know he was trying this has been in the works for a while and I think considering how big the kind of build up is to Bohemian Rhapsody uh, which is coming out on the 24th of this month um, I think they kind of definitely when they were kind of making that with Rami Malek they, they, the industry saw like yeah there's definitely going to be a big market for these kinds of films so let's get this done and Taron Egerton ended up in the role because he essentially auditioned for it spontaneously on the set of Kingsman 2. Ah. So Kingsman 2 has Elton John in it as like a, a massively extended cameo. Like he's basically a side character. He's right. in about half an hour, 40 minutes of the film. Um, and apparently on set one night, like they really hit it off, the two of them. And then one, on set one night, people were like egging him on to sing some Elton John songs to Elton John. And apparently he did really well. And apparently they saw it in him and they thought like, why not? Let's do this. Because wow. um, they have a really good working relationship. So whether the film's good or not, I think it's just quite sweet the way it came about. What other, um, if on this line of there's Bohemian Rhapsody, now there's Rocket Man, do you think there's going to be more films about um, rock stars or pop stars from that kind of era? Hey, see, I, it's funny, I was thinking about this on the train here and I was thinking, like, what would I like to be made and who would I like to do it? And the first one that springs to my mind is I'd love there to be a Jimi Hendrix biopic. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and I was thinking, like, who who would you cast in it? And I thought, my God, like, imagine if you had Chadwick Boseman mm. playing Jimi Hendrix. Like, cool. I, I just think that'd be wicked. Um, I'd also, I'd love, a, I'd love a Led Zeppelin film, but I think that's probably not going to happen until, like, Robert Plant passes away and everyone realises how much they miss him kind of thing. <laughs> Um, I think a Stevie Nicks film would be cool, or a Fleetwood Mac Stevie Nicks yeah, film. Yeah, that would be, be really cool. Because cool. Fleet, Fleetwood Mac do have a crazy past. Yeah, un unbelievably so. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that would be cool. That would be really cool. I can't wait for the Kanye film one day. Oh. That'll be one we go and watch. We'll get, we'll get we'll get like the OAP discount at whatever cinema chain oh, still exists. Oh my gosh, <laughs> if we're going to be old and watching a Kanye film. 
Oh, God, that, that scares me to my core. Hopefully it will all make sense by then. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, we'll see, we'll see. Yep. Second piece of film news for me. Um, this is about Chris Evans. He has just hinted that his days of playing Captain America are over. Um, so he's just wrapped shooting for the film, and he just tweeted out mm. saying... Officially wrapped on Avengers 4, it was an emotional day to say the least. Playing this role over the last eight year has, years has been an honour. To everyone in the front of the camera, behind the camera and in the audience, thanks for the, thanks for the memories. Eternally grateful. Um, not sure what um, that's supposed to mean, but I assume that kind of means that his character might be killed off on Avengers 4. Well, I mean, his contract's up, isn't it? Like, yes. we, we, know, we know that much. This is quite very, like, quite obviously he's not renewing it. Um... You you care more about the Captain America storylines than me. Yeah. And I remember you telling me when we went and saw Infinity War that what happens in the comic canon is Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, replaces him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think they'll do that? I mean, I don't know whether Sebastian Stan's going to carry on. I mean, mm. he's to be fair, he's been in more or less the same amount of years. Yeah, definitely. You know, he wasn't in the first Captain America film, but he's been in pretty much every project that Chris Evans has the been Winter in Soldier. since. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether he's kind of getting a bit of fatigue. Well, I don't know. I don't know how long is there going to be an Avengers five and six and seven. Is that the, the part of the universe that's going to continue, or is it going to be more Spider-Man: Homecoming films or Ant-Man: and The Wasp? Mm, is it going to be yeah. sort of the Phase three films that continue the legacy rather than the original Avengers films? Well, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the only one that is in the calendar because DC have more movies scheduled currently than Marvel do. Wow, that's now, a scary thing. Like, I don't think that should be like, let's not like assume that Marvel don't know what they're doing suddenly. Like, I'm sure they're going to come out with something and they're just, you know, they know that they've got the clout to, to wait and keep mm. people guessing. I don't think DC feel like they have that at the moment, rightfully so. Um, but, I mean, it, the only one that they have in the calendar is Spider-Man, right? Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, yes. I mean, Black Panther 2 will happen. It just hasn't been officially confirmed. I think, um, yeah. Guardians, we don't know what's happening. Apparently, they're keeping... Guardians 3 is going ahead with James Gunn's script, but they're looking for a new director. Mm. Um, I think what they'll probably do is that once the um, Untitled Avengers 4 film comes out, they will probably um, sort of, they probably have these things in the works already, but they just haven't been leaked or they haven't been announced because we don't know what the characters are going to be. Maybe that's not true, maybe because, the, because they have done a Spider-Man Far From Home thing. Um, but I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. Maybe yeah. maybe Marvel will stop and then there's going to be 17 Venom spin-offs. <laughs> well, they'll do the same thing they did with Spider-Man, where they'll let Sony have their fun for a couple of films. And, <laughs> and then, then buy they'll it. buy it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They'll do it properly. Um, jumping ahead a bit. Yep. But um, I don't know. I think, I think whatever they're going to do will be cool. I think a lot of it, I think the the whole James Gunn thing really has taken a hit to what they're going to be doing. I think they kind of they probably had a lot more plotted out for the Guardians' development than they now kind of have. Mm. Um, I also we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago when the trailer came out. I'm yet to be convinced on Captain Marvel, mm -hmm. not because it's a female superhero film. I think that's fantastic. Like we finally got a feature length female superhero movie that's like in Marvel, not Wonder Woman in DC. Exactly. Which you know Gal Gadot's great, but it, the film was passable. Mm -hmm. um, but it just didn't look, it looked a bit generic. And for me, it looked like it took all of the kind of core basic elements of all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films and meshed them all into one. And I don't necessarily think that that's a good thing. I don't think it looked very original. Yeah. Um, 
we'll see. Yep. So yeah, more superhero news from our film podcast. Yeah, mate, it's just turning mate, into a I've superhero even, film podcast, mate, isn't it? I've got even more coming up. <laughs> Actually, I've got it right now. Um, so this week, we they've started kind of finally dishing out some real hard details on the Hellboy film, the Hellboy remake. Ah. Um, so for people that aren't familiar with it, the Hell, the new Hellboy film is coming out in April 2019. Uh, David Harbour is playing Hellboy. Um, and David Harbour is the guy who plays Detective Hopper, Jim Hopper, in Stranger Things. Right. Uh, fantastic actor. Um, big kind of physical presence. Um, perfect casting, I think. Um, what's particularly good about this new Hellboy film is that the original comic creator is on as like a leading screenwriter, um. which means that it's going to be so much more true to the comics than the original two films were and I, I still love the original two films I think they're really really good um, I don't think it necessarily needs a remake but it's cool to see a new spin on it um, but it's definitely going to be closer to the comics the villain is going to be the Blood Queen who's quite a big presence in the series um, played by Mila Jovovich who is the woman who's done about 590 Resident Evil films that no one ever asked for, but oh, some, for some reason uh, we're still getting them. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, yeah, not really sure how I feel about that. But the poster is really cool. Um, it's kind of exactly what you'd expect from Hellboy. It doesn't look tremendously different from Ron Perlman's Hellboy. However, in the poster, this is the first kind of proper poster they've released. He his horns are unshaved. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Hellboy, but the kind of the idea is that to kind of keep his like demonic tendencies at bay, he shaves his horns down. Right. And in this new poster, he's got his big horns. He's got this massive like flaming sword. He looks like he's just ready to kick ass and take names. And I don't know whether that's kind of a hint that he's kind of have to get darker to defeat the Blood Queen in this film or whatever. But it's, you know, I don't follow the comics, but it's clearly a nod, and it's clearly like something that people are going to be speculating about. Do you mean shaves as in chip away, or shaves yeah, like as he, in... he like files them down so uh, they're okay. like um, imagine like if you cut an elephant's tusks off. Yeah, like, it'd be odd that like stumps. Yeah, I was just thinking it'd be odd if Hellboy had two sort of afro horns. <laughs> That'd be bizarre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but hey, that should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, my last piece of film news, um, interesting piece of film news, uh, Disney has decided to do another live-action remake of their previous work, and this is going to be a new Lilo and Stitch film, which is very interesting. It's directed by the same director who did the original Lilo and Stitch film, uh, okay. Dean Dubois and Chris Sanders. Chris Sanders also um, voiced Stitch in the original. Um, uh, there's not many details about it, apart from the fact it's coming out. Um I th- I don't know if it's going to be on the Disney Did- streaming service or if it's going to be a or it's going to be a sort of straight to video film um, or straight to Disney streaming service film. I think they'll make a big thing of it. I think this yeah. will be a theatrical release. But like, I mean, these live action films are all the rage with Disney at the moment. And what have they got coming up? They've got Pinocchio coming up. They've got Dumbo with Tim Burton, Lion King, um, Lion King. Oh, um, yeah, well, they, God, that's been in the that's been in production for ages, isn't it? Because isn't it Donald Glover playing Simba and Beyonce playing yeah, Nala? Yeah. yeah, like that's weird. Actually, that's gone quite quiet, and that was really big. News, it? Well, I think there's uh, something to do with the fact that John Favreau has released the Mandalor- Mandalorian news. Yeah, maybe. Is that I think that he's sort of doing both. Maybe something. Maybe some things are being pushed back a bit because they've got so much content and they want to focus on perfecting. So. Or there are seventy-eight thousand reshoots. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. But I mean, live-action Lilo and Stitch. Like, is that? I love Lilo and Stitch. Don't get me wrong, but is that a tad too far? I, I mean, think is, it is. is. I'm. Is, I'm not sure about it. Is Stitch going to be like? 
graphic? Is he going to be like? Is he going to be like a three D animated character, or is he going to be like a guy in a onesie? Oh, I got, imagine <laughs> it's like. You imagine that? Have you, you seen the original, they remade it? It's have you seen the original in, like, line which in the wardro- wardrobe um, TV show? No, I haven't. No, no. Um, it might be one, like one of those where the like, beavers are actually in beaver costumes with oh, like painted faces. It's terrible, but. Um, yeah, Aladdin's also coming out with Guy Ritchie. You've got the, uh, there's a lady. I didn't know. I didn't know that. There's an Aladdin film with who directs Guy, Guy Ritchie directing it. Yeah. God, they are. I don't know what they're. Them I don't know what they're smoking at Disney, but <laughs> <laughs> they really care about it, don't they? No. Um, I'm excited about it, but I also think Lilo and Stitch is one of these things that watching the original movie, it's so animated, it's so focused on the animation. Whereas I can understand yeah, them very... doing a live action Jungle Book or Lion King because you can animate CGI animals and you can. Um, create the world. Yeah. But Lilo and Stitch is so inherently cartoony yeah, you're um, right. that it might be really odd to do a li- live action thing of it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of the only thing I'm kind of comparing it to in my head that I think it could look like is um, Moana. Yeah, like, that could be true. I, but I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I was massively impressed by that film. Um, that's Pixar, though, isn't it? Or is it that's is, Pixar. I mean, I, don't, I get so confused because, isn't it, like, half the fucking films they do now, like Disney Pixar, like, I mean, oh yeah, exactly. Disney and then there's DreamWorks everything. that pipe up occasionally, and I and I always get confused. Is that Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks? No, I'm always I'm yeah. Yeah, no, I lost the plot. But yeah, no, we'll see. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a trailer of that before I pass any judgment. Correct. Yes. Um, final bit of news for me is kind of a bit of a different tone, uh, but something I kind of I thought we should we should kind of bring up. Have you, are you familiar with the whole Johnny Depp GQ cover? Thing that's happened in the last few days. I've seen it. Yes. Right. So, so basically, for people who aren't familiar, um, Johnny Depp is, you know, he's he's had a couple of years where he's kind of been a bit vilified in the media, whether whether you think that's deserved or not. Um, and he's now Fantastic Beasts is on its kind of press junket. It's on its way towards release in November, and he's playing the villain, um, quite a big part. And so he's trying to kind of rebrand himself, improve his public image, and get back into the limelight. And his way of doing that was to do a world exclusive interview with GQ, um, which came out, and he's on the cover of October's issue. Um, and it's just a bit weird, like you know, their whole. Amber Heard and his divorce is like a real, it's been a real sordid affair. Nothing's ever really been confirmed, but it's long assumed that he like physically abused her. And, but there's also been a lot fired back that she kind of manipulated him and was physically abusive to him. And in the end, they ended up settling out of court in 2016, mm. right? And part of that court agreement was that they don't discuss it publicly anymore or something like that. But they, I think at the time, they released a statement that said something like their love was so powerful that it was, it just became too intense, or it just some fucking waffle that they, they had <laughs> yeah. to, they had to release to basically say we both hit each other, but we just don't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, he's in this this new interview with GQ, and he's kind of um, he's been very forthcoming with his opinions about how he's kind of been neglected and how people like he doesn't deserve the hatred he's getting from fans and stuff like that. And he's been very, very clear. Like, I didn't abuse in any way. Like, me? How could I? Like, he kind of... There's things that he says in the article like that. Um, And so, obviously, Amber Heard's lawyer kind of made a statement and said, Mr. Depp is shamefully continuing his psychological abuse of Miss Heard, who has attempted to put a very painful part of her life firmly in her past. One need only look at the physical evidence to draw the proper conclusion. To which Johnny Depp's lawyer then piped up and said <coughs> I just think this is ridiculous said Johnny Depp is the abuse victim 
in the UK court proceedings next month, I don't know what this is referring to, mm-hmm. uh, we will be submitting clear evidence of the violence committed serially against him by Miss Heard and the serious injuries that he suffered. So, long story short, this isn't this hasn't kind of been put to bed in the way that they kind of made it look in 2016. Um, very much still alive. But I just thought, GQ, it was a... They've been accused on their end, rather than just giving him a platform to say what he wants, they've kind of glamorised it a bit. So on the front cover, and normally this stuff doesn't really bother me, but if you see the cover of the magazine, it's him kind of looking quite rogue, as he always does, and he's got his hand up with his tattoos on his hands, and he's looking quite serious. Um, And the, the tagline on the front cover says, World exclusive, Johnny Depp, an outlaw talks. The divorce, the violence, the excess, the vengeance. And uh, that is glamorising it. Oh, yeah. And it's very uncomfortable. And whether you you believe that he did it or not, that's not really for us to decide. You know, that's up for a court to decide. If it's still carrying on, they probably will. But just saying, like, the, the divorce, the violence, the excess, like... It's just like a, a really shitty way of describing it, isn't it? And what yeah. kind of it doesn't really set a good precedent, especially in the current climate. For kind of thinking, you can have these guys that are accused of things, whether they've done it or not, and then they kind of they go dark for a bit, and then this like this is the way they kind of come back out. And also trying seeming, to sell seemingly the... justifying the the rogue image that they've cultivated, but equally in the article are saying that they don't deserve. Mm. But I'm also know, I trying to sell shit. a film by doing that as well, which is all like it, it's, it's all part of the publicity of Fantastic Beats, which essentially is based off a, the Potterverse, which is from a children's book. It shouldn't be about like a, a, about this. Johnny Depp shouldn't be making this platform about this. He should be making his platform as trying to rebrand his image as maybe maybe more child friendly than he's been before. I don't know. Just get them on Jerry Carl and do a lie detector. That's what I say. Yeah, but get them on Dr. Phil. Dr. <laughs> Phil. Jerry. About how, Jerry. <laughs> how about that? Yeah. yeah. That'd be great. Um, but yeah, have you got any more news or is that it? No, that's me done. Wicked, wicked. Um, well, first film to review this week is Venom, directed by Ruben Fleischer. This is the Sony take on a Marvel character in association with Marvel. So Mar- Marvel are there holding the hand. I think, I don't know how much influence Marvel had on this movie I, after watching it. I don't think it's a lot. I get the opinion that like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll have the purse strings, but you do your thing, Sony. You can fail if you yeah, want. Yeah, but, but... But, but I also think like, I feel like in the early stages of designing this film, Marvel were probably really involved in thinking, yeah, this is a really good idea. Let's stay attached to this because it, when it's good, like we need to kind of reap some of the rewards right but then i reckon as the filming went on they probably thought let's like uh you know like in those trailers that you don't have to put in association with marvel if you don't want to Mm. like you can you can leave us out if you want um but you know either way we're here with it the last time we saw or maybe the only time we saw venom in a film was spider-man 3 sam raimi's kind of swan i don't want to say swan song because it was like sam raimi's swan song (laughs) but it's like who describes spider-man 3 as (laughs) sam raimi's swan song i loved it but i loved it because it was so unbelievably cringy and clunky and weird did you like peter parker dancing yeah yeah the the (laughs) whole like the whole emo peter parker bit it was just it was hilarious and it, it kind of thinking back to it and i watched some clips of it on youtube the other day 
it was back in a time when no one really knew what to do with superhero films. I mean, if we think about some of the films from back then, we had Ben Affleck playing Daredevil, with Colin Farrell playing the villain Bullseye, with like a, a bullseye like cut into his forehead. And he was bald. Oh, do you remember the um, spin-off, Jennifer Garner's Electra? Oh, God, that terrible. That was a terrible film. Absolutely awful. And then you had Catwoman with Halle Berry. And, oh, it was just, it was so... It's kind of my guilty pleasure, though. <laughs> no, mate. I that, love Catwoman. That, 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 that basketball scene. Oh, it's, it's silly. It's it's a, when Catwoman dies and then there's just cats uh, cats around her and then she gets special powers from cats climbing on her. Well, that, was what, that was what cracked me up, was when... Um, it, Venom, like, critically, it isn't doing very well. Um, and loads of people were saying online when the social embargo, like, was up on Tuesday, they, they said that it's worse than Catwoman. And then this one guy commented on, like, quite a popular thread that I saw and he went, nah, like, I, I haven't seen Venom yet, but I refuse to believe anything is worse than this and puts, like, a two-minute clip of the whole basketball scene. And it's just, you watch it and you think, like, everyone was going, yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. definitely not worse than that. Um... But, I mean, spoiler alert, it is very clunky. This is a weird film. It's it is a really a, odd film. It is a jarring tonal mess. The like the lead actors, they're all, they all have very different opinions of what they're meant to be doing in this movie. Mm. It kind of goes from semi-serious and quite boring at the beginning to not making sense in oh, the middle. So abstract. And then silly and stupid at the end I think I enjoyed the end the most because at least at that point it was just silliness they didn't really care about any plot and it was just things exploding and I kind of enjoyed that more but it, it's an odd tonal mess and I think there's got a re- it's got really bad reviews this film from Rotten Tomatoes like yeah. terrible terrible reviews I don't know if the film warrants the terribleness of the reviews it's not a great film um, but it's not. But it, I don't think it warrants but the I, reviews. But but I also think like a big two of the big issues with it for me were one, it's 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 badly edited. I mean, yep. I don't I, like. I hold my hands up. I don't know anything about how difficult it must be to edit a feature length movie. But there are just like there are just cuts to scenes where it's like, wait, hold on, like where, where are we now? Why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And like, but even like some of the things that were filmed, like there was this one bit early on in the film that really bugged me. Like the whole way through, it really shouldn't have. It's not a big deal. But when he like Eddie Brock kind of like he get he like loses his job and he loses his girlfriend and all that and that's how he kind of winds up with the symbiote. Uh, he's like down on his luck, and there's a bit where he's in his apartment at night. It's pitch black outside, and he grabs a beer and he opens a newspaper and he starts circling jobs and ringing people to see if they'll hire him. Who the fuck looks through a newspaper for jobs and rings like calls up offices? hoping for employment at, like, 11 at night. I know. Who's going to be there? What, it's just a tiny little thing. It's like, come on, like, come on. Yeah, what really got me is that there was, in within five minutes of the film, there was a six months later, and there was no need to be at all. No, What, not at all. what changed in those six months? He got a bit grumpy. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. like, that's pretty it's much so it. Do you know what this... So the director, uh, Reuben Flesher... Um, he has said that this film is a spin on a horror film inspired by the works of John Carpenter, who did the original Halloween and the film, yeah, yeah, yeah. and David Cronenberg, The Fly, with more pop and fun. Did you think that it was anything horror-like? Did you think it was anything poppy? Did, I, I, I just think it was a bit of a mess. I didn't think there was anything... What, it, what I found was, all the way through it, I was finding ways to compare it to different films. So, <laughs> so like, when, it, when it started... And it's like there's like an alien like there's like the uh, there's like the spaceship crash and there's like the weird nighttime scene where they go and like obtain whatever 
there was from the wreckage. I was sitting there in the cinema thinking, wait, am I watching Predator again? I really thought that as well. <laughs> I saw it, it was like, this, I'm, wait, I'm I, in the wrong screen. I, I'm definitely in the wrong screen. Yeah. Um, so that, I was thinking that first. And then it kind of goes a little bit Terminator 2. Like, it kind of like, when the symbiote attaches to this woman and then she's got like, she turns her arms into like these metal spikes and kills a load of people in a market with it. And that, like, that almost definitely is a nod to Terminator 2 when you've got the Terminator that can kind of morph his metal skeleton and change into all those things. Um, but then as the film went on, the start of it, like it was, it was a bit too serious and it wasn't very entertaining. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really get, I was, at the beginning I was thinking, oh God, is it going to be this boring all the way through? Then it kind of gets to the bit where he, like, he attaches to the symbiote and him and Venom kind of become one. He starts hearing the Venom voice and it becomes this really strange body comedy where there's this whole scene in a restaurant which is just bizarre where Tom Hardy I I don't know I, don't, I just don't know how to explain it he he's so weird like you you think you've seen him being weird in Bronson or um I don't know Taboo but this is a completely different weird this is like a Jim Carrey-esque really freaky over the top loud strange face Sweaty mess. But I don't know if it man. was good acting in that sweaty mess. I just, it was kind of, I just kind of got reminded by <laughs> the room was, in a way. I just, but yeah, that's literally yeah. what I was about to say. I was going to say, this reminds me of the room. This yeah. reminds me, I was just like, this is, this is so far off the wall now that I'm finding it really funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, but I'm finding it funny because it's so tragic. Um, but then it's just like, it juggles that really, really out there comedy with like just, characters side characters that just seemingly don't have any motivation or any real personality or understanding like there's a bit where um like the new boyfriend of his ex-girlfriend who's like a doctor takes him to get an mri scan because obviously he's freaked out in this restaurant and i mean he's ended up sitting in like eating raw lobster in a fish tank in front of people like i wouldn't take someone to an mri scanner if that was happening i'd probably take them to i don't know i'd I'd get them sectioned yeah (laughs) um but nonetheless, we go to an MRI scanner and he kind of has this crazy freak out in the scanner because of the frequency affecting the symbiote. And it's more than him just screaming. Like, it's really, really aggressive. And then they like they, they shut it off and they, like, calm him down or whatever. And then there's a scene where they're walking through the hospital corridor and the, the boyfriend is, like, trying to, like, you know, be nice to him. But he says something like... Um, don't worry, man, you aren't the first to freak out. I get claustrophobic too. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck? Yeah, are they, play, are they playing it straight or what, are, they just, are they just trolling what, us? I have what, no idea. What intern wrote this bit <laughs> of the script? <laughs> like, oh, what would a doctor say right now? Like, uh. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's absolutely bizarre. Just, just so bad, just so bad. Um, um, it's also got really, I think Riz Ahmed as Carlton Drake is also probably one of the worst movie villains, superhero movie villains I've seen. Do you seen. think so? Oh, it was terrible. See, I, I think... Did you, it, did you I, think he was nuanced? No, 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 no. I, I think he he did the best he could do with the role he was given and the Maybe script he was given. Maybe that's true. Because I, I really like Riz Ahmed. I think he's a, I think he's a really, really good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And, and I think he did have some really good 
kind of emotion to his performance, but I just feel like the character was so muddled and you didn't really understand why they were doing what they were doing and it all felt very forced because of yeah. that. And um, I also don't know if he's... I think he's a very, very good actor, but I don't know if the creepy super boss villain suits him in that no, full role. I think he's much more of a um, sort of leading man. And Kudos to both of them, though. They both do like very convincing American accents. Yeah, very true. Um, yeah. And I wasn't like... You know, I'm... I'm not a huge Tom Hardy fan, and I, I rant quite a lot, and Will knows this, I rant quite a lot about the fact that he doesn't really have much range. And he kind of just, even if he does very different films, he kind of just plays the same version of himself, but in slightly different parameters. And I'm yet to see anything that has like completely stunned me into thinking, fuck, he can do something really different. You know what I'd actually love? I'd love to see him in like a proper romance like a proper romantic, yep. dra- like dramatic. I, I'd love to see him try and do A Star Is Born. Yeah, right. I, oh, he'd be great in A Star I, Is Born. No, yeah, he, he wouldn't, but like, I'd like to see it. I like, like Tom to Hardy more than you do. Uh, but... You do, you do. <laughs> um, but no, no, I'd just like to see him do something like that. And I suppose what this film did give me was a lot more than I expected. Like, I, I was expecting it to just be, based on the trailers, quite a by-the-numbers, generic superhero film that ignores kind of a lot of the improvements we've made in the last 10 or 15 years and kind of just peters along on quite a boring storyline. But what you get with Venom, especially when it moves into the final third of the film, is this very, very abstract, confusing, but incredibly hilarious at points film that puts Tom Hardy in just the weirdest predicaments and he acts it quite well. Mm. Like he is, en- he's entertaining to watch in this film, yeah. even if he's maybe the only character that is entertaining in this film. I think his character is muddled and confused in what they were trying to go for in terms of seriousness or comedy. But I think he does what what the stuff that he gets, he he does very well. I've also never seen him in in a sort of superhero leading quippy role like that before. Maybe in Inception. That's the that's the only other time yeah, I've seen yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His Inception character is quite similar to be fair. Yeah, I think like the probably... slightly braggadocious American dude. Yeah, exactly. Um I think I think Tom Hardy is really really good in this. Um I just think the film is a bit of a mess. There are there are you got to admit though, there are some funny moments. Like there's the bit where Venom uh him as Venom scales this skyscraper. And he goes to like the top and he does something in an office. And then Venom, the voice, is like, go on, Eddie, jump out the window. You can do it. And he's like, he's kind of looking as as if he's about to do it. And then the film just cuts to Tom Hardy pressing the button for an elevator. And you just hear Venom's voice go, pussy. Like, there are bits that are, they are quite funny. Like, the the screening I was in, people were reacting to this film. Mm. Especially towards the end, people were genuinely funny, funny in maybe a pseudo Deadpool kind of way. Oh, really? Yeah, in kind of like a, in the same way, some of the, I mean, it's not, this film isn't meta at all, but like, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like right. the, the kind of crude humour that Deadpool has is kind of what I thought the audience responded to most from this film. Yeah. Uh, it's also, it's not as tame as everyone would have you think. Like, I feel like there was such a fuss made about this film needing to be an R-rated picture. Um, because fair play, we have seen that like superhero films that are R-rated, like the Deadpool films and like Logan, they, they do very well because of it. And we've seen films that should have been R-rated, like Suicide Squad, do tremendously bad. Mm. So I get that whole argument. But you also, I think Ruben Fleischer did have a fair point when he said in interviews, look, we, we get it, like we'd love to do an R-rated film, but Venom is such an adored character by children. And I mean, I've got, like, I don't know if they're still in the house, but I've got old, like, Spider-Man's my favourite superhero, and mm. always has been, and I've got old Venom and Carnage toys. Like, I used to love them as a kid, and I was so drawn to the fact that they were so 
grotesque and interesting. Yeah. Um, and so I think to to kind of not allow teens the chance to go and see this character that they care about equally yeah. as much is is a bit unfair. But it is, to be fair, it's a fifteen, and it's not it's not tame. It's not tame. It's not gross out gore, which I quite enjoy the fact they don't need to go that way. But it is not. It's not tame. There is adult content, but it's more used sort of new. I'm going to say it's it's used nuancedly. It's actually yeah. it's not. It's not like well, this is all the R-rated things we can fit in this film. Yeah. No, um, I agree. I yeah, agree. I think it's yeah. Um, an interesting point that I saw at the end credits though. Um, the guy who did the music for it is a guy called Ludwig. Uh, Bar- I've written down this note and I, was, <laughs> and I saw it, it and I wrote down this note because it's because I knew um, that you would mention it. Yeah, Ludwig, Ludwig Göransson is the guy who kind of did the composition for this film. I think and, it's Göransson. Oh, oh, is it Göransson? <laughs> it's Göransson. Um, um, let's get Tom Hardy to do it in his American accent and he'll confirm it for us. Indeed. But um, he's the guy who is credited as writing the song Redbone with Childish Gambino. Mm-hmm. Um, amongst other things, and he's also done other films as well. I can't remember what ones he's done. Do I you? have them here. Oh, do you? Uh, <laughs> perfect. Yep. Fun fact of the will: um, Black Panther and Creed are his main ones. Oh, really? Yep. Um, he, oh, oh no, I did. I, I looked this up because he did. Um, he did Fruitvale Station as well, which oh. is this film that Ryan Coogler did before Black Panther and Creed. Oh. They're all they're all Ryan Coogler films. Oh, so it's yeah. Um, yeah, no, I just thought that was a nice touch. And to be honest, like looking back at it, maybe I didn't really give it much attention, but I thought the. The soundtrack wasn't awful. Oh, I really like the, the soundtrack. There, was, there were some bits where they had like weird, like thank God there wasn't a dubstep song put in, like in a fight scene. But there were some weird choices. Like there were bits where it kind of like panned across a, an aerial view of San Francisco, and it would be playing like this this rap beat, and it didn't really fit with the film at all. Well, Eminem recorded um, the, yeah. the song for the end credits, and I think he might have recorded the same song in that panning scene, um, which, which is called Venom. It's from his new album, Kamikaze. Well, um, you, you a fan, are you, mate? Oh, I don't like Eminem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really... what's, your, what's, your beef, what's your beef with them? I, I, I have no beef with them. I'm just, maybe I'm not down with the kids enough to be with them. I don't I, know. No, see, I, I, I just don't think it's down, down with the kids to be a fan of Eminem anymore. It's down with the kids. It was to... when we were kids. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But you know, I like Britney, so I can't. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like it, I would be a bit say like I'm down with the kids and Eminem, which just wouldn't really work. Um, yeah. I, so do you want to go on to critics quotes for this, or have you got a couple more things to mention? Yeah, mate. I mean, I, I think just kind of. I tell you what, I think the last fight sequence is really good. Ah. Uh... I have a problem with it. Do you? I, go on, go on then. Tell, I, me, tell me what you think. I'm fed up of action sequences at the last bit, just doing these quick cuts. It's like I, it's the problem I have with a lot of the Transformers films is they have these quick cuts, which means that you don't see the action. Yeah, all right, I get that. I get yeah. that. It, it is quite choppy, but I just thought some of the stuff that they did was quite creative. Yeah, yeah. Like they, when Venom and Riot, who is the symbiote version of Carlton Drake, are fighting. Um, and it, it's quite funny because Venom's kind of explaining to Tom Hardy as they're kind of chasing after him, like, "What's our like?" Tom Hardy's like, "What's our chance of beating him?" He's like, "Like zero. Like <laughs> he's he's like a real badass back home." Like, yeah. it, it, I thought that was quite cool. I like the Venom um, as Batman voice. Yeah, he. he uh, <laughs> like, I just can't. Oh, can you do Venom? Can no, you do, no. I, is it Tom Hardy that does the voice and it's changed? Yes. So he does it through a. He does the voice and then it's sort of changed by different okay. sound editing That's things cool, because that I, I, I wonder whether it actually was him or not. Mm. Um, now, I, I, there's just, when they're, when they're fighting, there are bits where, like, Riz Ahmed and Tom Hardy kind of break out of the symbiote, and they're kind of fighting as well, and I thought that was all really interesting. Like, I haven't seen a superhero fight like that. Yeah. Um, 
it's no like Black Panther final fight scene, but I just thought it was entertaining. Or Avengers three final fight fight scene. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, it's a. I think. Yeah, it's 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 interesting that Hardy has talks about this film because Hardy is a big Venom fan and he's he oversaw a lot of the reshoots of this film and he said that um, on the YouTube channel Come Explained that his favourite scenes from Venom were the 30 to 40 minutes that were cut Yeah, so it'd be it, interesting to see what because would it be added to the extra action sequences at the end and would that be well, or he would you think it would be more he, than he nuanced said there stuff were, he said there were whole scenes he said what did he describe it as like mad puppeteering scenes and dark dark horror comedy scenes so I'm assuming that probably means that it's stuff that wasn't quite appropriate. Um, mm. But I, I, you know what? Like I'd love to see all the stuff that was cut from the middle part of the film, where he just starts like proper skitching out and has the whole restaurant sequence where he's hearing the voices and he just doesn't know what's going on. I'd love to see like, love a to whole see, take of that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see like all the weird shit they filmed and then decided to like reel it back into just what they put in the movie. Yeah. Um, but you know that. It does like the end. The last third of the film does scream kind of silly fun that you're kind of drawn along by. It kind of felt a bit Men in Black. That was the kind of the vibe I got from it. It felt yeah, like I can go. It, it, I felt, can it felt like one of those that. blockbusters that is just a bit strange and very clunky. But I'll probably revisit because it was kind of entertaining. Mm. Uh, I just kind of wish the whole film was like that. The the standout bit though before we go into critic quotes was um, the post credit scene or the mid credit scene. Yeah. So. It was kind of ruined, to be honest, by the press junket. But they, before the film was released, it was made very clear that Woody Harrelson um, was going to arrive at the end of the movie. Um, and he himself said that he was going to basically be setting himself up for a big role in the sequel. I wonder um, what that means. <laughs> and considering, yeah, exactly. Considering they were already hinting that he was going to be carnage, like they basically just tell you. Mm. Um, I think maybe they ended up doing that because they were concerned that the reviews were going to be bad and they needed to kind of drum up some kind of hype. Um, but it clearly worked because, I mean, there's an article that I had up that I haven't mentioned. Apparently, Venom is set to have the best opening weekend of any movie that's ever come out in October. I saw that and I was um, like, I, I just, it surprised me. I, I didn't I, think that. I think it's de it's definitely going to be one of those films where it's not a critical success, but it's a massive commercial success, which Suicide Squad was. It was mm -hmm. it was panned, but it was it made a lot of money. Well, H Hardy hence is, why they're doing a sequel. Hardy has signed up for two more Venom films. Yeah. So it could create its own universe. I mean, I'd love to see a 18 Carnage film. I'd, I'd really like to see them take a lot of the feedback from this one and carry on making it a bit silly and strange in the next film but just a little bit more coherent and just a little bit funnier mm. uh, like consistently funny what I'd like to see is a ridiculously R-rated movie Todd Phillips Joker, Joker style of Eddie Brock interviewing Carnage and just and explaining Carnage's uh, Carnage's life story and having the symbiote, yeah. I would like that. Like if there was a previous symbiote, let's say 1990, there was a previous symbiote, um, which is a great spaceship landing, and then Carnage did all these terrible things, and at the end of the movie he breaks out, and then Venom three or Venom two, and I'm not just to call the Carnage film, would be Venom versus Carnage. I'd well, love to well, see this, like a dark, gross. Well, out. mate, this this sequel is going to be Venom versus Carnage. Mm, I know, I know, I know. I'd like to have there a middle. Film in the middle that's kind of R-rated and crazy and yeah, scary. yeah, almost like a spin-off of a, of a spin-off, a spin-off of a spin-off of a spin-off, yeah. a spin-off of a spin-off of a side character. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I thought Woody Harrelson is in the film for about forty seconds, and he is electrifying. Like he, he is, commands he it. is, he is really, really good. Um, he looks crazy with that red hair. 
Yeah, he really does. He really, and it, it made me wonder if he was considered for the Joker role that Joaquin Phoenix is maybe now doing because um, he could he could definitely do it. He'd definitely do it. Um, we mentioned it again. We've done it. Yeah, we've done it. Every but, single mate, podcast. I'm going to mention it. I, mate, I, mate, I've got another. I've got another segue to it later on in the other review. <laughs> when Star uh, is born, yeah, how mate, on earth do you do that? that is, I think that should be my um, my challenge. Is you know that thing where like you can through like have you played the Wikipedia game? Which, oh yeah, which yeah, is yeah. like um, through like starting with any Wikipedia page and clicking through, I think it's like six, you can find your way back to Hitler's Wikipedia page or something fucked up yeah. like that. Um, we should do that, but with I have to find the tangent of every film we review that somehow relates it back to the Todd Phillips Joker film. That'll be fun. Challenge accepted. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was really good, uh, the end sequence, and I think that it sets itself up quite well. I just hope that they kind of, they do actually listen to what people want and they take on the feedback. Um, but it definitely, like, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes and you kind of see the buzz online, even if the film, everyone knows it is a bit shit, critics really didn't like it, but people are enjoying it, mm. um, which at the end of the day is, is what matters. And what I, what I saw on Rotten Tomatoes as I was looking through was that although it's got terrible reviews and, like, one star, 0.5 stars, um, everyone says I was really, weirdly fascinated with it and enjoyed the oh, film, even it, though they yeah. know it's terrible. Yeah, um, completely. Yeah, it was interesting because it looks like when you see Rotten Tomatoes, 33%, everyone hated it. But that's not true. It's more nuanced than that. Yeah. Everyone hated it, but they kind of loved it at the same time and want a sequel. I definitely think it could kind of be looked back on as kind of a weird cult, not a cult classic, but it could be like, oh, do you remember that film? Yeah, whack it on. That what, was, a new that power was weird. Like, what a strange... Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Kind of. All right, Mark Commode, slow down. Um, <laughs> anyway... Uh, you definitely took that from yeah, this review, didn't you? Yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> I knew you would. <laughs> um, so, Critic Quote Awards, what was your uh, best description of this film from a critic? Uh, my best description is Sonny Bunch from the Washington Free Beacon. Uh, he says, It feels like it takes forever to get to the fun weirdness, which is odd since this movie is only really about 100 minutes long. But I'm kind of interested in seeing a sequel. Yeah. Yeah, that's... It is, it is quite short, actually. Like, I, I, it, I thought that. Well, it said online that it was two hours and twenty-seven minutes. Yeah, so I was like, oh, I was like, oh gosh. god, it's going to take forever. To get but no, this. it was really short. It was it was shorter than I expected. Yeah. I really appreciated they could, that. They could have put all about forty minutes in that Tom Hardy wants, couldn't they? Yeah, indeed. Um, my best description was from Chris Bumbray of Joe Blow's Movie Emporium. Never heard of that before. Um, and he put silly fun. Tom Hardy plays the infected Eddie, like a cross between fifties era Marlon Brando. 90s era Al Pacino and mugging for the cameras Jerry Lewis making him unlike any superhero lead you'd, you've ever seen he's oddly mesmerising he is oddly mesmerising yeah. it is it is a performance that no, like no other but I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing <laughs> <laughs> but I still kind of I'm still thinking about it like oh yeah um, what about the most savage review you got of this film um, Most Savage is by Scott Menzel from We Live Entertainment. Uh, he says, uh, the reason why Venom doesn't work isn't due to the PG-13 rating, but because the film is an absolute train wreck. Short, sweet, Jesus. to the point. I think I think that's very harsh. Because I think there are still things that you can enjoy in Venom, even if you don't like the, yeah, definitely. Don't like the film. But I suppose the thing is, I mean, we both have Odie and Limitless passes, so like, <laughs> very, very discreetly, a bit of money comes out of our bank accounts once a month. Whereas if I'd gone and paid, like, I don't know, 
18 quid at an everyman cinema to sit down and watch this on a Friday night I would like I would probably be a bit more affected by like whether I got value for money oh yeah and also if, if talking about sort of MCU fans and the Venom film in terms of development there's been a Venom film in development since 1997 every year it's just been pushed back and pushed yeah. back and pushed back and changed and it was going to be with Sam Raimi and then Sam Raimi left and then it was going to be the Hunger Games director and the Hunger Games director went to do Hunger Games and then <laughs> and, and then it just kept on going on and on and on and finally we have this film and so if you pay what 18 20 pounds to see an IMAX or an Odeon Lux you might be a bit disappointed you know who should direct the sequel who Carrie Fukunaga you can't just get Carrie Fuk- Fukunaga to, I can't never say his name I can't get him to do every single film no but it, but, <laughs> but, it, but it fits so well with the fact that everything he's done is really good and he does one thing and then leaves like I feel like it would be in safe hands if he did it Oh like yeah, he's gonna be he's gonna be so busy with the Bond film, isn't he? Um, most savage review of Venom for me was from Miles Surrey of The Ringer, and he put, "Is Venom a good movie? Absolutely not. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if it won every single Razzie Award next year. But Venom is also one of the most entertaining and idiosyncratic theatre-going experiences of 2018." It I do like- I do agree. I like I've never seen a crowd kind of reacting or being influenced by a film. Um, other, right, to be fair, other than The Star is Born that we'll talk about in a minute, I haven't seen a crowd this immersed in a film since I went and watched A, a Quiet Place. And you see, there was For one, different reasons. There was one person in my cinema and he slapped himself in the face when a bad joke came. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. <laughs> if the bad joke came, there was a, like a second pause and he just went... It was yeah, very odd. My favourite my favorite, uh, cinema screening moment recently was when I went to see Mission Impossible Fallout like, last month. And uh, there's this bit where they're like parachuting out of this plane and then one of them gets struck by lightning and the whole screen kind of goes quiet. The whole thing goes quiet when they get struck. And there was this one guy in the cinema that just did not anticipate that happening and went, wow, (laughs) (laughs) really loudly in front of everyone. Oh, amazing. Um, Yeah, no, all right. So did you have a best moment? End credit sequence. Um, yeah, with, yeah. Well, I know that Same that's, that's or, a bit or, like a or the lobster dinner scene for me. I just thought it was so bizarre. Lobster dinner scene would be um, great. I, I actually, I think I just scrolled down and realised I did find another um, another review that I think sums up really well that I just had to mention is Mike Ryan from Uprocks. He said Venom is not a good movie, but I also want to make it clear that I had the time of my life watching it. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think it's completely fair. It's just not a good movie. Yeah. But, but someone said that it's not bad enough to be good, but it's bad enough to be enjoyable. Yeah, and I think that's fair enough. What yeah. would you What would you give it out of ten then? Ooh, um, it's a really tough one to because I don't because I kind of want to give it a seven, but I know I kind of I kind of want to let a lot of its flaws go. Yeah, because I did enjoy myself, but then I think that that's not really. No, snap I'm, out of it. I mean, it's a movie review podcast. It's five. I can't it's do a it. Five. I can't do it. All right, yeah. I, I think I, I was thinking five or five point five. Like, yep. it, there is a lot of good in it, and there's a lot of promise for a follow up, and clearly people are enjoying it, and it's kind of getting people interacting in a, and talking about a film in a way that I haven't really seen recently, mm. which is always a good thing. Yep. Um, so yeah, five. Um, moving on to a a, a slightly more favor favorable review. Ooh. Um, we now have to talk about A Star Is Born, mate. Well, we don't have to. We, we definitely I'm should. I'm tearing up already. Are you already crying? <laughs> I'm already going to get about five minutes through before that happens. No. Um, we didn't bring any tissues into the pod, mate. No, no. That was useful. Um, 
do you want to do you want to give a brief kind of overview? Yeah, so it's directed by Bradley Cooper. This is his first. Uh, this is his debut in directing. He also produced the film. You, why is it that like directorial debuts are like the films that are doing really well at the moment? You think um, a Quiet Place was John Krasinski doing it and being mm. in the lead role. You think about, um, what other ones have we got? My mind's going blank now. Jonah Hill's about to release that mid-90s thing, which is already getting really good critical acclaim. Oh, yeah. Angelina Jolie did a couple of good ones in the past. Yeah, like, it, 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 seemed, it just seems to be recently, like, there's a big trend of actors turning to directing, but also them just doing really well as a result of it. Yeah. Which I is cool. Really it has cool. to be the right person. I watched... I, I watched an interview about with Mark Cabot <laughs> with Bradley Cooper. Surprise, um, surprise. Because, surprise, surprise. And it, it really came across that Bradley Cooper really knew his stuff about the films that he was referencing in A Star Is Born and also the legacy of A Star Is Born. Um, so A Star Is Born is not an original story. Um, it is based on three previous movies, one in 1937, one in 1954, starring, starring Judy Garland and James Mason, and one in 1976, starring uh, Chris Christopherson and, and uh, Barbara Streisand. Um, I like the fact that you were talking with this about with your mum. Well, I asked my mum if she wanted to go and see it with me, and she said, "Like, oh, isn't it? Isn't that about the life and times? Of, isn't that about Barbara Barbara Streisand's life story?" Yeah. And I didn't know at the time. I thought, like, I don't really care about Barbara Streisand. So I looked it up, and I was like, "No, she actually acted in it." Mum. <laughs> um, so this is this story has been sort of retread before. Uh, story is that um, Bradley Cooper is a singer songwriter in a rock band called Jackson Maine. Uh, he is kind of like at the kind of in the middle of not in the middle of his career at the end of his career but is kind of fading in the background he's doing a lot of touring not a lot of releasing new stuff big alcoholic yep. prescription drug abuser like all yep. sorts he meets this um, after a gig that he does uh, he meets he goes to a drag bar to get drunk and meets this woman called Ali um, he sees something in her and thinks he's the real deal then it's kind she. of Yes, true. Well, drag bar, who knows? No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but no, um, and then their, their careers kind of intersect. Um, he invites her on stage, and then she travels with him. Then they originally get, they get married, and then in the middle of the film, their careers are sort of equal. They are really bit benefiting each yeah, other. And it, Bradley it, Cooper, uh, Jackson Maine stops drinking. Um, there's, like this, there's like this 10-minute comfort zone, I think is the best way to describe it in this film, where everything, like the stars align and everything is seemingly so perfect, but you know you know that it's not going to last. Mm. And I remember looking at my watch and thinking, God, we're, we're like 45 minutes into the film, right? There's yeah. a lot of shit to come. Yeah, all the tragedy is to come. And then as, it, as Ali's career starts to go into the stratosphere, um, Jackson Maine has an inner resentment towards this which which kind of translates in terms of his alcoholism but it's but it's quite, it's a complicated mess of emotions isn't it because he's not it's not just that he's jealous that she's becoming more famous than him it's that she's he has this really big thing throughout the film of you only have a platform to use your voice for a, for a finite amount of time and you need to use it to say exactly what you want to say and as she kind of her career just goes from strength to strength it's going strength to strength in like a very generic pop star way Kind of like the almost like the Justin Bieber effect, yeah. Where she's losing all of her originality and she's losing everything about her talent that was what drew him to her in the first place, mm. and so it translates as the film kind of goes on and their relationship starts to become more and more fractured. Um, it translates to her as a bit of jealousy and frustration, and she she blames it on the alcohol. But in many ways, he sees her as his kind of his last kind of final 
passion project. Like he he wants to convey all the emotion that he knows she has inside her, and she's not quite doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gets really, it gets really tough. It really it, towards the end of the film, it is very very tough. Um, I, I like reading through. I haven't watched the previous films. Um, there are some key differences, and the, the first two films are about um, Judy Garland and the previous person who I cannot remember the name of um, becoming actresses. So the and they've still got the same same scenes. For example, in the latest film, um, Jackson Maine, when Lady Gaga wins the best newcomer at the Grammys, um, Jackson Maine crashes that and is drunk. That takes place in the Academy Awards um, in the first two films because it's right, about acting. Yeah. Um, what's 1976 film is more about sort of the rock star um, journey. Um, Chris Christopherson has has denied this, but a lot of people say that it's um, based on Jim Morrison, um, yeah, the kind yeah, of portrayal yeah. of that. Um, but what I liked about this version of the film is in the 1976 one, um, the, the John Howard or Chris Christopherson sleeps with someone at the end of the film. And that's why they split up, and it's all oh, right, about so the resentment. It's all about the okay. resentment of the cheating, and then it's an accidental car thing. The first what, two, where he he dies. kills himself because he's driving recklessly because he's drunk. Right, the first okay. two films that he, the the guy is called Norman Maine, and he drowns himself in the ocean, um, and it kind of follows the similar lines to A Star Is Born. Right, okay. But what I liked about this film is that the it's not as it's not as the resentment and the jealousy and 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 also a case of having a voice. Is much more nuanced than you're. You're more talented at this point than I am. I'm resentful of that. It's so many deep layers oh, yeah, of their, so of their and personality. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of, it, in a very kind of um, indirect way, but deliberately indirect, it tackles his kind of like uh, long-term difficulty with his father and his difficulty with his brother. And it's it was it was a twist that got me. I don't know if it was really obvious to you, but he kind of he talks about his older brother. Um, and how his older brother wants wanted to be a singer and didn't quite make it and all that kind of stuff. And then and then he goes he goes when he's coming back to kind of like a homecoming gig in um, is it in Tennessee or is it in Texas or Arizona? Arizona? Arizona. He goes to visit the plot of land that he bought and gave to his brother where their father's buried and finds that it's been sold and turned into a wind farm. And then it then cuts to the scene where he arrives at like the area where the gig's happening and he literally walks straight up to his tour manager and smacks him in the face. And then you realise, like, oh, holy shit, like, Sam Elliott is his older brother. Like, mm-hmm. th- that's him. Um, and it adds this whole new element to the movie that wasn't there for the first hour, yep. which is really cool. I thought Sam Elliott was fantastic oh, in this amazing. movie. Amazing. He, he had, for me, he has the most... Like, this, this, is, this really is a film about human emotion, and both Gaga and Cooper 100% deserve a nomination for Academy Award for best leads mm-hmm. um it's 100 percent gonna win whatever the music category is at the oscars oh yeah there's no doubt um, surely absolutely no doubt um and it will get a best picture nomination um and it deserves all of that um but all of these actors they're they're so human and it's so believable but it's it's this the one bit that that like sucker punch me is there's a bit towards the end of the film where um Jackson's out of rehab and his brother's driven him back to back to his house and they're kind of like fumbling through this conversation they've had this really kind of difficult friendship dynamic of brotherhood for years oh god I'm welling up and um <laughs> he kind of he gets out of the car Jackson gets out of the car and I I, I I can't remember what it is he said 
because I was so caught up in it. But he kind of he fumbles his way through kind of like apologizing for something that he does earlier in the film. And then he says something like, um, what does he say? Like, you know, I'll like, always love you. Or it was, no, it was like, you know that I've, or I, I said that I idolised my father. I actually idolised you. Or something yeah, along those yeah, lines. He said, yeah, he says something and like then just, that. And he but, says it but, so but quickly. He, he, he says it so fast that I almost didn't hear what it was he actually said. And then he shuts the door and he leaves. And then it, it, the camera, which is situated in the back of the car, immediately pans to Sam Elliott as Sam Elliott is like looking back and reversing out the driveway. And it's, it's something about his eyes... I've I've just I've never seen anything like it. It's in like a, film. a it's like almost like it's, a pre tear. It's like I'm it, not even crying, it's, but it's, it's just it's, it's un, just welling. It's, it's unreal. Like mm. I've never seen anything like it. Um it's it's the kind of I feel like it's the kind of moment in acting that even someone like Daniel Day Lewis could look at and go, Fucking hell, I wish I had that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. I think this this film just had so many of those amazing moments in it. Um I'm gonna have to get onto it. Drag Drag, yeah. drag, drag, drag. Yeah, um, what, what, like, I mean, there are, this film is going to be watched by a lot of people and the drag scene, which obviously you're, you're such a big fan of, mm-hmm. um, it's becoming more and more well-known and well kind of understood, I think is the better way of putting it. Yep. Um, and this film has a huge platform and it's it, it's done a really good job of including that. So I yeah. mean, why don't you, well, why don't you go off I on think that? It, I think it celebrates that kind of bar culture that um, drag, drag queens are in. At the, so Ali is in a drag bar and it's not seen as kind of a fetishistic thing. And it's not sleazy. And it's not it's sleazy. It's funny. It's just funny entertaining. and entertaining and these people are very human. I like that it takes and you... And it's a small room of, of, of passionate people caring about something that they do. And I like that it takes you not just to like the performance aspects of the drag queens, but you see drag queens in the bar, then you see drag performance, then you see drag queens backstage, and then you see drag queens at the end of the gig counting the money. Um, it's got some... RuPaul's Drag Race alum um, who have done very well. Um, yeah, because I was going, I was going to ask you whether they're, they're like the queens in well, the film are anyone notable. Because I know that Lady Gaga has, she's a kind of um, the drag community really like her, and and they they she's got a long history of making such incredible DIY outfits. Oh yeah, um, but she's and also that's in- such a big inherent part of the culture. Well, she's also includes a lot of drag queens in her work. So in the applause music video. Um, she has a couple of drag queens who've been on RuPaul's Drag Race and the Implores Lyric video, which came before, it's her filming inside Mickey's, which is a LA drag venue, um, performing all these queens. One of the queens there is the the head of the, the drag club in um, A Star Is Born called Shandela Laquifa Wadley. Um, <laughs> she is, um, she's is she been on three seasons of Drag Race. She really, she really because she's great um, and she's really good TV. But she and Willem, who's the other person who gets her tits signed, um, oh, yeah. Both of them um, have made it in the drag world as act- actors. And what I liked, and just in the real world as actors, Willem's first film credit is as a trans, is a, as a sort of drag person in the first American Pie film. Yeah. And it goes on from that as playing sort of um, transvestite, transgender roles throughout his career in, ac- in acting. Um, Shangela, the same. She's, he, she's been in Girls, she's been in Glee, she's been in Community. Um, and both of them are good actresses in their own right. But what I really liked about their performances there is it wasn't making them like the loudest people in the room. Like they were, no, they were it's... loud and characters, but they weren't. They they weren't shouting about their crassness, and they weren't crass per se. They were just being kind of sort of sort of homegirls in that in that drag bar. No, it's yeah, it's very well managed. It's it's done in a it, the impl- like including it in the film is done in a um, a subtle way mm. that isn't. 
really, really. I mean, you, I mean, whether you care for the drag community or not, if you watch kind of episodes of RuPaul, they're deliberately very over the top and they're they're yep. quite they're quite intense to watch. Um, I think anyone can kind of agree on that. And I'm kind of glad that it it didn't. It's not like that part of this film own try to own the film, try no. to make it all about this part of the film. It's it's a very exactly. organic part a really organic element and i think it's almost definitely lady gaga's hand in this movie that's done that i mean i've, I've kind of watched some interviews and do you know about how this film came about um yes more, I... more or less correct me if i'm wrong but it was like bradley cooper met her somewhere and they kind of got talking and then she invited him over to her house the next morning to play some music and she ended up like cooking him breakfast and they sat down at her grand piano and just played and they, mm. they had a really lovely time and they thought, yeah, let's do it. Um, and that's kind of where it came from. And they've, they've clearly, very clearly from like the interviews and things developed quite a sweet friendship from it. Um, but almost certainly when they were kind of putting the finishing touches on this film, she was like, you know, the bar where he meets me, I want. Yeah, to be this in it. Yeah, I agree. It does seem like a very collaborative project. Um, what I would say, fun facts with Will. Um, I've got two fun facts, but I'll leave one till later. All right. um, it was originally in January 2011 going to be a Clint Eastwood film. Yeah, I've um, heard about this. Yes, yeah. and it was they were in talks to direct Beyonce um, to to re- remake the film. That um, would have been much more of like a, a fatherly. Yeah, it would have been dynamic. Art. It wouldn't have been a love story. Oh no, Clint Eastwood as director, not Clint, uh, Clint Eastwood as. <laughs> no, I love that you thought it would be Clint Eastwood and Beyonce. That's adorable. <laughs> that would be so I odd. I didn't really so, want to say it. But well, it no, would the, be a the, bit the, weird. The, it was going to the script was going to be inspired by Kurt Cobain's story and as the uh, as the Jackson okay. character. Okay, and there was talks with with the typical people that you'd expect to be there. Christian Bale, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Cruise, Johnny Depp, and Will Smith um, were all talked about. And then that film f- fell through. And then the um, Bradley Cooper came through. I'm really happy that yeah, Bradley glad, Cooper directed yeah. it. I'm really happy that he starred in it because... I think a lot of people are celebrating Gaga on this, and rightly so. It's one of her first big acting roles outside of maybe American Horror Story. Yeah, you're right. But, and she's fantastic, and there's no denying she's really good in this film, really naturalistic, not playing up to that Lady Gaga character. And of course, her Lady Gaga singing is incredible because she's a very good singer. But Bradley Cooper, his he had to do loads of voice training yeah. to get that gravel in his voice. He was trying to match um, Sam Elliott's um, voice, I think, that um, what he was trying to do. And just... The emotion he does, and there's that scene where he breaks down. What, um, in the rehab? In the rehab, when Lady Gaga comes to visit him. And I just think, I just love the naturalisticness of his acting, but also his, his direction where the scenes where there's no music in them are very long and very, and it's very long and sort of naturally edited and not, and take their time to play out. And mm. yeah, and I, I just think his acting is incredible. You know what, as well, like he is kind of like the big I am in the first kind of half of the film, and mm. then as her career goes higher and higher, as you said, they kind of intersect, and he starts kind of going down. Um, he, lots of people like that I kind of know that have seen this film or, or critics have kind of said that it becomes a bit slow in the second half, and it becomes boring, and he's not really. Uh, as engaging as he is in the first half, but that, that's the point. Yeah, like he he becomes the shadow, 
And it's watching him in those moments where he knows that he's not the centre of attention anymore and that things aren't going the way he wanted them to. And it's those moments where I think his acting really thrives. And I think that in the second half of the film, he is just, it's just incredible what mm. he does. It's heartbreaking. Um, There's that scene the where scene he's... The scene in the bathtub. Oh, yeah. Where he's drunk and he comes in and sits down on the side of the bath and he says, like, he says some of the most unbelievably cutting things to her. Like, it, it must have been such a hard scene to film. Mm. Um, and the scene at the Grammys when I, I it, my heart really broke oh, for him when he was. Like, I felt so uncomfortable during that. I know you're meant to, but like it, the but, film, the film does it really well because from like I don't know maybe a third of the way through, you know that he's really fucked up, and there are so many scenes where he goes on stage to do something, whether it's to perform or I don't know, and every time he goes on stage you start thinking oh god is this going to be the one where he has like the breakdown and it's deliberately done in that way there's one scene which is like really not long it's like a minute long but where he goes on stage at some random gig and he sits down and on a on like a a chair with his guitar and he's all he's all slumped and his hat's down and you think like oh this is it like this is the one where he really embarrasses himself kind of thing Mm -hmm. and it's not and it keeps going and going and going until you finally get to the Grammys and you think fuck like this is about 40 minutes of this film and, it and has they, to be now and like, they tre- check you by trying to make him like after that directly after that scene he's found they get married and so they have that really nice scene and scene there where that you think oh it's going to be better again and then it goes straight back down again yeah. to <laughs> sadness and depression it's, it's a good 10 minutes of the film where you watch Dave Chappelle playing Dave Chappelle my I like him a lot. He's a likable guy. I, I think he's a great comedian. But I did have to stick around after the credits, like for the credits, to confirm that he actually is playing a named character and not just Dave like it, 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 it's not just some meta thing where Jackson Maine, the, the singer songwriter, is actually friends with Dave Chappelle, who exists in this world as well. I think that's my like, only. I was like, hang on, like is that because it, it kind of plays like that? It's kind of like they're both um, relatively rich. Um, successful guys and I got confused by the scene because it, I thought he, Dave Chappelle was like Jackson Maine's ex-manager or something yeah. turns out he was a ex-bandmate of oh, Jackson really? Maine that what that's what it's in the script but I just felt like because Dave Chappelle has this 10 minute sequence of the film and Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper then meet the whole of his family and then they, the wedding is performed by Dave Chappelle's cousin. And then it's a really nice scene. And then um, Lady Gaga's holding Dave Chappelle's daughter, who's like three, four years old. It's a lovely scene. I just, my, one of my only critiques of this film, um, I'd, the other, the second one is that the film is not too original. Well, that sounds... It doesn't do anything particularly new, this film. It just does all of it very, very yeah. well. Yeah, but Dave Chappelle, um, I just wanted one scene earlier where you introduced him properly. Just yeah. one, just one earlier scene. They could have fitted in a five, ten minute thing, even a phone call where he's he could, like discussing he, his. He problems. could have been at one of the after show parties. Exactly. Or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. So because I felt like it, it was does kind an of come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you think about your favourite person in the world showing up? Because I laughed out loud in the cinema. Oh, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin showed up, <laughs> and I laughed out loud because I was like, Jake is going. To, Jake is going to die. <laughs> more, more, more than anything, I really enjoyed it. This film has a lot of realism about it. Like, for example, they um, they do the whole Grammys thing on the actual Grammys in the actual Grammys venue. They they go to SNL at one point, and it it really is showing you like the back screen green room of SNL and what it actually looks like to be on the tiny SNL stage and how many people there are in the audience. I tell you what, it doesn't look anywhere 
nowhere near as exciting as it looks on TV. And I, I knew that. Like, I've been to see the Graham Norton show be recorded. I know that it's like this vast room with like, it's all, re- it's all really strange when you watch a live TV show yeah, being yeah. recorded, right? But it just like, I'm not a big SNL fan anyway. It looks even less impressive oh, yeah. than I expected it to. It looks dingy. Yeah, it looks really scummy. It looks really um, dingy. But like, this film has all that realism. And even my favourite use was um, they go to Glastonbury at one point I saw um, yeah. and is it the opening scene or is it I can't remember no it's, it's it's a montage scene where they've just where Ali has just sung the song which sung with Jackson Maine yeah, and, then, and then they go goes on tour. to a, they yeah. go on tour yeah so he, he Bradley Cooper like goes and performs on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury the main stage um, and I was chatting to a friend last night who actually told me that it's it's true because I, I thought because they thank Glastonbury in the credits and I, I, I thought maybe what's happened is they've been given some stock footage of what the crowd looks like from that stage and then they've kind of then kind of just filmed on a random stage and superimposed it to make it look like he's actually there at Glastonbury performing. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but in reality, he actually, like, last year at Glastonbury came out on stage in front of loads of people. And so I didn't know about this and the crowd didn't really know what's going on. So what basically happened was they were given, they were given four minutes... And it was while they were setting up for another band to come on the stage, right? But it was like while there were a lot of people there. And he kind of, he, he, he was deliberately kind of designed to look good enough for the filming, but to not really look like himself. The screens weren't on. And the only sound that came out of any speakers while he was on the stage was from the really, really small ones at the front. So basically, like the first three or four rows of crowd heard what was going on and could kind of see what was going on everyone else in the crowd had no idea what was happening wow right but we were um, at glastonbury a, a year well, or two yeah, ago we, we weren't i mean try being at every stage of glastonbury all at once can't like, believe be I impossible. bradley cooper and lady gaga i know mate Gutted. I know. um shame she couldn't stop by for a quick performance <laughs> <laughs> bloody nerve um but no, I just thought that was so weird. Like, mm. and there, there is something great about that realism. It, it feels the whole film feels authentic, and coming full circle, including Alec Baldwin, the implementation of Alec Baldwin. Um, he has it's it's the it's the big it's the funniest cameo I've seen of him in it. I know that it's actually probably the best cameo because he is kind of famed at the moment for doing Saturday Night Live yeah. as Donald Trump. So I get it completely why he's hosting. However, what I enjoy most about it is they do a full countdown to Alec Baldwin about to speak through 10, 9, 8, go down to 2, it's 1, intense, and then they go, ladies and gentlemen, Ali. And yeah. he's over and it's done. And you never see him again. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I love that. Um, do you, can I tell you a fun fact? And it's actually quite a sad fun fact. Go on, mate, film. go on. It's a bit of a tangent. It's sort of separate, contained, um, not, maybe, not about this film, but the 1976 film. Is um, that, which one's that? The Barbara Streisand Barbara one? Barbara Streisand one um, and Chris Christopherson. However... Streisand was like quite a big um, part of this project. Um, it was one of her films that made her big um, as, a, as an actress, not just as a singer. Um, and she originally approached Elvis Presley for the role. Really? Yep. Um, and he was really keen to take the part. However, his manager, um, annoyed that he was cut out of the deal, demanded that Elvis got top billing over Streisand. Um, and then the producers and the director of the film said no. And then essentially his manager took Elvis off the project. Elvis then died six months later. Elvis wanted this film to be the resurrection of his career. But the, his manager had a real problem with the fact that they were suggest- by, by 
saying that he wanted saying that they want he wanted to get the part that his career was going down the toilet that's what he thought it suggested and so did not want him to be a part of the film at all and then six months later elvis dies it's quite a sad great weird story where elvis elvis's life could have taken a very different turn if he'd if he had been in this film he could have had a whole second part of his career as an actor because elvis had done loads of films previously um, like Viva Las Vegas and etc. So it'll be, uh, that wasn't that's an interesting fun fact. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Can't yeah. say I'm a big Elvis Presley fan. Neither am I really. I remember doing talent show things of blue suede shoes when I was younger. Did you? Yep. And I had did my you blue... have full outfit and everything. Oh yeah, I was I was having a great time. I was living my life, <laughs> <laughs> having the best time. Back in the glory days. Yeah, like... exactly. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, do you have anything else to add about Star Is Born? I mean, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to just narrate the film to people. Like every, like I, I feel like majority of people that are aware of this film will go and see it without much um, much more review. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if anyone is listening that hasn't seen it yet and can deal with the spoilers that we've given, um, I, think I don't want to say any more. Yeah, we haven't spoilt um, anything anything that is like the culmination of the film, so I think that's, I think that's all fine. Mm. Um, and also, it's kind of already spoiled because there's three previous films where they have the same ending. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You, you, you know what this story is. It's well trodden. Yeah. Um, it's well trodden. Well, tra- well tread. Well trodden. Well, well trodden. Oh, 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 it's oh, fine. Language, you beast. <laughs> um, right. What did you have for a best critic description of A Star Is Born? Um, it's from Manhola Dargis, uh, who's from the New York Times. And she says, like its finest anecdotes, it's ring- it rings tears from its romance and thrills from a steadfast belief in old-fashioned, big-feeling cinema. I think the thing I take from that is big feeling cinema because it's yeah it's not like an arty film it's all about uh, like it's it's kind of a blockbuster in terms of the emotion but it's done in such a cinema cinema it's shot in quite an indie way beautiful indie way but the kind of but it does make you feel at the end of it mm. kind of reminded me of the silver linings playbook maybe but a little bit yeah a little yeah. bit it um it you it clearly has a very big budget, but it uses it in a different way to how many blockbusters would use a big definitely, budget. Definitely. Like it uses it to do things like get the authentic um, kind of scene at Glastonbury and do all of this kind of stuff. But it kind of the cinematography, it, it, like at many points, it focuses on kind of really kind of making you feel like the person. So he kind of like Jackson Maine has like progressive hearing loss and that's kind of a a narrative through the film. And there are bits in the film where it's kind of using techniques to make you like really feel like he's feeling at the time. Mm. Um, And I know that sounds a bit tacky, but it does it in quite a convincing way. So I think, yeah, yeah, big feeling cinema, definitely. Uh, Mine is from Dana Stevens of Slate, who says it feels somehow compact despite its sprawling two hour and 15 minute size with nary a scene or frame wasted as mm-hmm. it builds to its inexorable yet heart-shattering finale. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, the, the ending is the ending is really intense. Yeah. Really and and it's not just what happens, it's the way they shoot the final bit. It re- like really really hard to watch. Like a, a majority of people around me were crying. Yeah. Oh, I I was in floods of tears at that point, but I'm a big softy. <laughs> yeah, but it is though. No, we are a sucker for that, aren't we? Yeah, we are really. Um, what about? I mean, we are the two it, people who held hands during like <laughs> <laughs> with like four other male friends there. <laughs> just, uh, it was adorable. Oh, what a film! Um, anyway, would it, there are negative reviews of this film. Um, most of the criticisms levied at yes it's kind of been done before it doesn't really add anything new some people just uh, there is some criticism that uh, Bradley Cooper is a bit 
like he kind of acts a bit like a predator in the first third of the film. I don't really think that's fair. I think that's the current climate talking. Um, I think he's drunk and he's quite forward with his emotions, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's preddy. No. Um, I think that's a bit of a harsh criticism. And I remember, I remember that being immediately squashed um, when Lady Gaga said, "You're a gentleman," or at least I think you are, because it kind of suggests that it kind of suggests that she doesn't. She thinks that he's being really, really genuine, but has he hasn't proved it yet? Yeah. And then he later proves it. I think that's yeah. the thing is that she's not fully sure what to make of him because he's a bit of a drunk. And then later on, he really proves it to her that he really cares about her as not being creepy. Yeah. So I think the film does that inherently anyway. I don't think that you should levy any criticism at Bradley Cooper for that. No. Um, so yeah. what was your most savage review then? Uh, it's from Kelly Vance of East Bay Express, um, and she said, very quick, uh, just TV commercial pathos and huggy redemption. Mm. I just think I just think that trivialises the film. I yeah. think maybe maybe people look at it as, oh, if you go to this film, you'll cry. There's not much more more to it. It is, it is definitely, though, like... Um, there, there are 100% people out there who will not be in the mood this weekend to go and watch this film. Oh, yeah. Like, there will be people out there that will look at it and go, yawn, like, I'm really not in the mood for this. It's too long, and it's, you know, we've seen this shit before. I get that. Mm. Um, but 99% of people will be in the mood for it, and they will they will like what they watch. Yeah. Um, mine was, my most savage review was from Richard Von Busak. Uh, Richard what, Von Busak. Richard fantastic Von game. Um, fantastic game. Fantastic name. Sorry. <laughs> of uh, Metro Active. I have no idea what that magazine Sounds is. Sounds like a gym. Um, yeah, it does sound like a gym, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> um, he said, "A star is born. No, this a star is born is like movie night at the end of rehab clinic. All the shame of drunkenness and none of the elation." <laughs> <laughs> How heavy is that? That's so heavy. Movie night at the rehab clinic. All the shame of drunkenness and none of the elation. It bears repeating. Jesus. <laughs> um, did you have a favourite moment? I mean, my favourite moment has to be that moment with Sam Elliott in the car. Uh, I also put that. I think in terms of personally, the drag scene is the drag scene. I yeah, love. Yeah, it's great. But I also, but I just think the best scene of the movie is that car scene when he shuts the door quickly. Sam Elliott looks like he's got a tear in his eye, but doesn't. He's just a very good actor. Um, yeah, it's a it's a. I do also scene. like I I like the whole sequence where he flies her out on the private jet. Oh to, yeah. Um, he basically he gets his driver to pick Ali and her her friend up, and the sequence is basically how much uh, they are looked after from the journey of her doorstep all the way to the side of stage at his gig that night, mm. and it's like they're treated like absolute royalty, like they get chauffeured to this private jet. They're on the private jet; they've never been on one before, and it's 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 very meta how you've got Lady Gaga, someone who is at the height of fame and has been for some time now doing a role where she's trying to pretend that she's actually never experienced it before. Mm -hmm. And I think that deserves a lot of credit. Like, even if, like, a scene where they're just freaking out about how insane a private jet is isn't in the, like, in the general scope, in the whole scope of this film, isn't necessarily the most impressive bit of acting. Mm. I still looked at it and thought, like, you're doing a damn good job of pretending you've never been on a private jet for someone who's 
probably been on a fuck ton by now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just like that. I, I that think some of her best acting really exciting. is when she's a waitress at the beginning mm. and that's relationship with her dad when she's not made it. I think when she makes it, she's still very, very good at good. But she, it's, she, it, there's a there's an innocence behind... Yeah, but she's also got a real swagger to her. Oh, yeah. Like, she, like there's a bitch. bit where she's like... Yeah, she really, she really <laughs> she is passes the badass bitch test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, she, like, there's a bit where she smacks a dude in the face... Um, there's a bit where she's like trying to follow Jackson to a car at one point and there's all these fans around her and she kind of loses him like by like a couple of people in distance and she's like there's a bit where she like turns to a girl who's like trying to move forward she's like get the fuck out of my way and like pushes her in it just like it is cool like she is a badass badass bitch classic yeah. a gay liking Gaga anyway <laughs> <laughs> um, what would you rate it then um, I don't know when because what I've said previously is that I have I have I have said about films that I can't rate anything a nine or a ten unless I have a real strong emotional reaction to the film and also it's really critically good. And I did both of those things, so it's going to be my best review so far. It's a nine. What did we review? You were never really here. Eight point five. Or did we give it a nine? Might have given it a nine. I can't remember. Maybe, maybe we gave it a nine. God, we got to go back and confirm. We did what a we graphic. I always, I've been we saying, did, it's my fault. I, 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 I should have done it by now. About a month ago, you're like, yeah, I'll do the graphic. I'll do the graphics. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that, I think that's a fair point. We, we, we have made a very both of both me and you ha- like take that very seriously. It needs to be not just a good movie. It needs to be something that's thought about and talked about for a long time afterwards. That really makes you feel something. For me, it doesn't have to be critically acclaimed. Mm. Like there are films like um, there's an old movie called Coach Carter with Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't badly reviewed, but it just wasn't incredibly reviewed. And that film, God, that made me feel things like it was really, it really, really impacted me. Mm -hmm. Um, So it doesn't have to be critically successful for me. Um, or commercially successful, but in this case, it was. Um, you're right; it ticks all the boxes. I'll give it a nine as well. Yeah, I think it was really tremendous. Fantastic. Um, and that that wraps up the reviews for this week. Uh, what are we? I mean, mate, we've got so many fucking films to review. We really need to like. Me and Will haven't worked out our schedule for October. We we did talk about it a couple of weeks ago. We've got, I, I've penciled a lot of stuff into the diary, and I've penciled a lot of potential recording dates into the diary. However, well, mate, <laughs> there's so much that I'm not sure. There are there are just so many films. I mean, if we're let's do so, it now. Yeah, yeah mate. <laughs> um, I'm sure the pod will kick us out at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, so we. I mean, next week. Um, Friday and Saturday, we're at the London Film Festival. Yep. I can't remember which films we're seeing off the top of my head, but we're seeing two of them. Um, and then we've got some more the following week. But on Friday, we have three films that we care about coming out. We have First Man, the Ryan Gosling, Neil Armstrong film. We have Bad Times at the El Royale that we haven't really spoken about recently, but me and you are both pretty excited for. Mm-hmm. And there was something about that. It's directed by someone. Um, I can't remember who it is. But I just remember thinking, oh, that's really cool. It's the director of such and such. But we also have um, we also have Smallfoot coming out, yep. which is the animated movie. I mean, it, that's that might be the one that we probably cut, no. considering we've got about four films We could do what we did for Yardi and do a quick review or something. Yeah, yeah, um, very true. Otherwise, it'll be a four-hour-long podcast next week, folks. <laughs> Hope you enjoy. <laughs> what a bumper episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, the director of uh, Bad Times at the El Royale is Drew Goddard, and I'm just trying to get it up. Oh, I've heard of Drew I'm pretty Goddard. sure oh. he does... He does something. I can't remember what it is, but it, I remember looking at it and going, oh, really cool. 
Um, yeah. I, I, I am very excited about, about Bad Times at the El Royale. I think mainly I really liked it. And then there was an Odeon trailer for it where they did like a behind the scenes. And they were talking about it like it was the best film in the world. And it kind of annoyed me. But then recently I saw the trailer well, it, again. It, it, you know, it was shot really, really fast. Like I think they, um, they shot the film, they edited it, and it's out for release all in about seven months. Wow. Which is ridiculous. Considering like the general press run of the film the first trailer will come out about six months before the film. But it would have been shot about six months before that. Like, yeah. That's pretty impressive. Drew Goddard, um, for anyone who, who actually cares, um, <laughs> he was the producer on the film The Martian. Right. Uh, he was the writer of Cabin in the Woods. Right. He was the producer of Lost, which we basically have to thank for long series of television. Yep. Like nowadays. Um, he's done Daredevil, and he's also the executive producer on The Good Place, uh, which is just like, if you haven't watched The Good Place, watch right. it, it's so that's funny. That's where I know the name from. But yeah. Yeah, very no, exciting. So, so that's that. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, be definitely, we'll definitely be talking about the London Film Festival, um, probably slightly quicker reviews of that. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully First Man and Bad Times at the El Royale. Two very exciting films. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a good week. Um, but thank you very much for listening. Um, as always, follow us on Instagram at 52 Week Film Project. Um, on Facebook. Twitter as well, Facebook, all the channels. Uh, drop us an email if you have any feedback. And please give us a review if you've got the time. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Will. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>